The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone, on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode 24. Uh, you guys are going to have to keep track of this for me. I have no idea, but let's roll. And speaking of rolling, we've got a a, a great episode this 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 week with uh, one of my favorite people on, on the planet. Uh, you know, so I, I won't spoil the, the suspense too much, but... You know, this is the first uh, episode of, you know, sort of the 2021-2022 season, you know, on the heels of a Super Bowl where, of course, my guy Tom Brady comes out and is now the GOAT, the unquestioned GOAT. It's pretty incredible. I mean, you hear the haters out there talking about how, uh, you know, the defense wanted. He's, you know, I mean, you have to get to the Super Bowl and then you have to, you know, win as a team, lose as a team. But you know this guy who is who has won, you know more Super Bowls than most great quarterbacks have even won games. It's incredible. He's doubled up uh, any other quarterback in terms of playoff wins. He has now more uh, career Super Bowl wins than any other franchise, including his six titles for the for the New England Patriots. Um, just an incredible, incredible deal. And to do that at forty three years old, uh, first year on his on his new team is, I mean really incredible and and certainly won't ever be duplicated as a matter of fact i think if you scripted this and and wanted to make a movie they'd be like come on man make it realistic uh this is absolutely just incredible to see what he was able to do um so we may talk about that a little bit and uh you know my my uh my guest this this uh this week is certainly not an east coaster so he may have some some fire to throw on on my celtics or my patriots or any of that nonsense so but uh also wanted to want to give a shout out to uh, all of y'all who are joining us kind of for the first time or maybe the first couple of times There's you know, we get to keep track of these things and, and listenership is growing and, and man, that's flattering as hell, man. And, and I hope we're doing a great job. And honestly, if you have feedback, I really don't even care if it's negative. I actually prefer it that way. You know, that way we know we, you know, we can change or hit me up on Twitter, man. I'm there. I'm, 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 uh, you know, I'm an open book. Just, uh, just drop me a note and say, Hey, I would love to hear more of this or more of that or, tell me about this prospect or, you know, whatever, um, you know, this particular show is going to be a lot of fun because, um, you know, I'm going to talk about dynasty game theory, uh, and some of the, you know, we're going to actually talk about dynasty, uh, startup draft strategy. And the, the, the person that I have on is the perfect person because I've seen him execute some amazing dynasty startup drafts, uh, where he left with the best team, and the most future assets, which is really 
uh, unbelievable. So I've seen him do it. I know he knows what he's talking about. And I am bringing on no other than the co-founder and CEO of the Undroppables, a uh, dear friend of mine, um, Nick Yu, who you can find at uh, at 101 Chalk. Uh, y'all know him as Chalk. We all call him Chalk. He's Chalk. Chalk, what's up, man? Hey, what's up, Scott? Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm delighted. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been a long time coming. I mean, what episode 24? Final. Uh, so yeah, congratulations on uh, you know, a, a full season uh, that you put in uh, this past season, and you know, looking forward to uh, what you got in store uh, in 2021, 2022. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the growth is is really fun and and really cool. And you know, we've you know, your vision is kind of what uh, drew me to the Undroppables and is what's kind of kept me here. And and what's really been uh, something that's drawn a lot of other people to our team as well. Um, you know, w- which we're going to get to in a moment. But you know, I just wanted to let you kind of tell the people, you know, kind of what your vision is for the Undroppables and why you know, why, um, why they should be paying attention and, and, and keep an eye on us for, uh, 2021, because it's really just the sort of the tip of the iceberg, if you will. Yeah. Um, you know, in a nutshell, I mean, I think the vision for the Unjoppables is to disrupt, you know, kind of what the industry has already kind of established. I think, uh, creating a platform for a unique, uh, you know, passionate individuals who, you know, maybe don't have a uh, particular uh, platform or a place to kind of showcase their work, their content, um, cr- connect with other creators uh, and collaborate and, uh, you know, developing, um, you know, like again, just a platform for that. Um, and then providing content, uh, exclusive content, you know, well thought out, well researched content, uh, you know, for everybody. Um, but it's, you know, it still kind of has that feel of, you know, exclusivity. You're part of something that's unique and different. Uh, and, you know, what we pride ourselves on so far is uh, being able to do this uh, just for the passion of it, um, to give back to the community that has, uh, you know, made us uh, or given us an enjoyable hobby, uh, allowed us to grow and connect with each other. Um, so that's really kind of, yeah, the vision uh, of the Undroppables. And yeah, we just want to put out really good, amazing content uh, for people to uh, consume. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a ton of, you know, paywalls and, you know, everybody's got their hand out looking for your money in every sort of way. And, you know, whether it's, you know, Patreons and, and I don't have anything against it. Um, I really don't. I actually don't have a single thing against it, but, you know, it's not what we intended to do. We didn't want to go straight to, Oh, I've got a hundred followers. Let's see if I can get, let's see if I get some money from these people. You know, it was more like, let's actually build something that's really true and sustainable and really, you know, tested. Uh, we wanted to test ourselves, you know, in the community, in, you know, in the sort of industry of, of fantasy football. And, and it's not easy. Let me just tell you, it's hard to get on this mic and give you something pertinent, entertaining, fun, informative, that's hard. It's not simple. It's not easy to, you know, have a team of people writing articles about fantasy football and to make it entertaining and informative and cool. And it's hard to do all the things that we're doing. It's not simple. Um, but we want to get great at it so that we, you know, if we become worth something that it's worth something, uh, we're not just trying to, 
you know, get a quick buck or anything like that. That's not why we're in it. We're in it for the passion. We want that to, that, that to come through first and foremost. And that's the one thing that, you know, um, I was drawn to because, you know, this is a hobby, right? I mean, to some degree, um, unless we become valuable and then it's not, but until that point, we're just here to, to show what we've gotten and to share our passion. And, and that's, what's most fun. And, you know, a lot of times if, uh, obviously if you get paid, it's a job and, and then all of a sudden you got a lot of other things to worry about and to maintain those bottom lines and all that. We all know that, you know, we all have our own jobs and, you know, our own businesses or whatever you, you know, you do, you become slave to it. You know, it's like the old adage of running a restaurant. You know, I love food. I love entertaining. I love, you know, bringing people around. I love being in restaurants. You own a restaurant and you hate it. You know, it's like, oh, you know, back to that stupid place. And, you know, and it, it does, it can, it can consume you. So, you know, at this point we're, we're not there. We've got so much going on that, you know, I think I want to share. And at some point, maybe a little later on, you know, we can start talking about that. But I really, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, that you and I had together before we started the Undroppables was sort of that Spider-Man meme. We used to, we used to laugh about it all the time because, you know, I'd go to say something on a post here and there replying to, you know, which is kind of how we cut our teeth in this, in this business was, you know, just sort of on Twitter, you know, seeing if we were right and see if we saw it the right way. And, and every time we'd bump into each other saying the same shit. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like, oh, this dude, this dude and I really, really see it the same. And, you know, what we found in our friendship is that we're different people, but that we're very, very similar mindset. And, you know, you're just, I'm not going to kiss your ass too much, but you're such a great person. I really enjoy all that. So, you know, with that said, I mean, you know, we can get into it, but I just wanted to share that with you. Yeah, man. No, I think appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, <laughs> going back to when we first met, I mean, how we met uh, really was, yeah, just we'd be in those threads, you know, we'd put po- you post something or I'd, you know, be on a post or, you know, we we cross paths with a similar kind of thought process or, um, you know, t- you know, similar takes on different, you know, similar guys or different guys or what whatever it was. And uh, yeah, over time, you start noticing that, hey, this, this guy's is smart and uh he challenges me to think sometimes about the game differently even though you know a lot of times we kind of came to the same conclusion or our process are similar i mean you know just kind of you know the old adage is uh iron sharpens iron right yes you know someone like yourself just you know into the game and has a very very intelligent process and i'm trying to always improve mine um you know you know i think we'll probably talk talk about a little later is uh your anatomy series is you know something that people actually just dm me or message me about uh here and there just saying you know uh you know they know that you know we we work together with the undroppables and they, they'll tell me um you know just things about the anatomy series that you've put together and how uh, they're starting to mold their whole di- dynasty strategy and kind of framework uh just kind of based off of that and they're kind of creating their own bins of players and uh, so it's kind of, it's, yeah, it's, it's been great to see that. And yeah, I'm, I'm proud to know you and, um, building this thing together with you and the guys. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's where, <clears throat> excuse me, man, but that's where we find players like Antonio Gibson and Gabriel Davis, you know, Gabriel Davis was a box checker except for draft capital. So you kind of look at it and go, Hey, maybe the NFL missed. We believe he did. They did, uh, you know, pushing him into, you know, round four instead of, Probably should have been a two or three pick there. Certainly in, in day two there, and uh, same thing with Antonio Gibson. He was a he was a box checker except for 
this sort of production, which is a huge one, by the way. It's not like a small box not to check, but we can kind of explain it away. He was playing a different position. He was wide receiver. Why was he a wide receiver? Because he's great at catching. Well, that's kind of a another huge box to check. And yeah, it's like, you know, you wanna you wanna be able to find the the truly elite players that kind of come from nowhere. I mean, you know, Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, those are the types of guys that I was all over with Anatomy series, you know, as well. You know, they they sort of uh were were the part there. And I remember that, that draft, you know, that Galladay Godwin draft and, you know, God is my witness. Actually, my brother's my witness. We were, we were talking, you know, about Godwin and Galladay. We loved them. And, uh, you know, I think I've got some receipts too about Godwin. Uh, but besides the point, um, you know, that was the John Ross sort of situation. I was like, I'm fading John Ross forever, you know, too small, you know, all those things, but he was a top what, top 10 pick. And so sometimes we are smarter than the NFL. It's like, you know, a lot of times people ask, are you think you're smarter than, I don't necessarily think I'm smarter than them, but I sometimes can be. And certainly if you stick to a process, you, you can be. Um, speaking of process, you know, that's really what I think, you know, you and I started to play in dynasty leagues together. <clears throat> Excuse me. Be clearing my throat a little bit tonight. Sorry about that. But uh, we we played in dynasty dynasty leagues together, and when we first started playing, we would be sniping each other and sort of following the same, you know, pathway to victory. Even though I don't think we ever really spoke about that sort of uh, that 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 strategy or that process in, in a uh, in a startup. Uh, you know, we never I don't think talked about. It. We just sort of blindly in, implemented the same process. Of course, Spider Man meme inserted here. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it was one of those things where, yeah, you, you've kind of been in your drafts and I've been in mine and kind of developed your own kind of strategy and process around it. And um, yeah, I know <laughs> then you kind of start hearing about, you know, how, how Jax is a, you know, dino startup game theory. And, you know, I'm just like, wow, man, this is like, <laughs> this is kind of what I've been doing, you know, I mean, you know, obviously there's, you know, some, some, differences here and there i mean kind of, of different uh nuances but yeah overall i mean just the way we view it and uh you know the types of even like when you're looking at the types of boxes that certain players are checking i don't have anything in depth as like you know what you've done with uh the anatomy but um you know there's certain things that we're looking at right i mean from an analytics perspective um you know yeah maybe they're not you know being highly as highly valued or viewed by the nfl so they don't receive that draft capital necessarily but um, yeah, I mean, there's other things that we're looking at um, to make that determination. Uh, both of us um, aren't necessarily ones to kind of lean on film. Although, you know, I, I won't say I'd never, I'll never kind of consider the film analysis. Although my, I, I won't do the analysis myself. I'll, I'll probably lean on people that I believe are much smarter than me in that area. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think looking at startups and just drafting in general and i mean just team building philosophy yeah you know i'd say yeah me and you uh you know very very much the eye to eye well so i'm gonna pick your brain a little bit and and kind of go through it and you know i'll, I'll start from the beginning uh in terms of <clears throat> the first thing that you should do when you join a league is look at the look at the settings i mean you know i i wrote an article and it's of course up on the undroppables probably you know you probably have to search a little bit but it's there um, because it's been a while, but, um, I wrote an article, uh, which was, you know, dynasty startup, uh, draft strategy. Um, and you know, I sort of outline a certain draft strategy. 
But important to mention, I, I think I do mention in the article as far as I remember, but it's important to first, even though I, I, I outline a certain strategy that works for most sort of 12-team leagues where you start you know, 10 to 12 players and have a 30-man bench, if it's not that in a you know, PPR, half PPR setting, if it's some sort of different thing, if it's an eight-team league where you only start five players, I'm not trading back. I'm trading up. I'm trading up, up, up. I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to, to get a stud at each position. I want Kelsey, Mahomes, you know, Devonte, and Kamara. That's my first four picks. I don't want to mess around with depth. I don't need depth. It's an eight-team league with five starters. It's ridiculous. So, you know, that's the the first bit of dynasty game theory that you want to uh, impart in yourself is understanding what the scoring settings are, what the lineup settings are, and what the roster settings are. And any other significant rules that might impact uh, player acquisition and player value, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's a great point, right? I think you know it, it's become almost trendy or cool to quote unquote trade back, and, and we'll get into that, right? I mean, I think that's the basis of you know kind of our philosophy in terms of acquiring or accumulating value in a draft. Um, but yeah, I mean, depending on the settings. Uh, if it's a smaller, not you know, shallow, shallow league, uh, yeah, you don't need a trade back. Why would you need depth uh, when you're, you know, you don't need? And there's going to be a plethora of talent, uh, you know, uh, and you want to kind of get the top guys at each each kind of position. Uh, yeah, and then when looking at scoring settings, I mean, I, I can almost you know think of so many different occasions where you're in a draft and you know you're you go into like round two or something, round three, and there's someone in the league that says. Oh wait, there's six point passing TDs or <laughs> right. what? It's one point seven five tight end premium. I thought it was just regular PPR or, or whatever, right? I mean, because the person obviously didn't even just check the basics, right? Or right. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know we had 10, 10, 10 starters or twelve starters or whatever. Maybe maybe you're starting. Right. You know, oh, there's a hundred yard bonus. I didn't yeah. know that. It's like yeah, you got to know that shit. Like you know, yeah. That's immediate, you know, and actually most leagues to that, to your point, most leagues, if you join them, whether it's MFL or sleeper or, and if you're playing on other shitty platforms, you know, probably don't want to do that anymore. But if you're playing on one of those, you can actually go into the player pool before the draft um, and sort by 2020 stats. And it'll show you with that league scoring where players would have landed. So sometimes you'll like look and you'll be like, oh shit, like all these tight ends score way more than even Devontae Adams. Like I'm definitely going to load up on tight ends. Obviously if like, you know, if Logan Thomas outscored Devontae Adams in some stupid league you're in, then don't take wide receivers. Like I, that's stupid. You know, it's a dumb, it's a dumb league obviously or whatever, but regardless, like uh, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to follow that, that notion of, of where the, the math tells me to go. And so that's a, that's a big hack. You know, and sometimes you'll look and you'll be like, wow, all these, you know, slot receivers because it's a, you know, there's there's no yardage bonus or or sometimes there's a yardage bonus. You look and you're like, wow, these deep threats are really scoring a lot more because they get a 20 point bonus if a 50 yard cat, whatever the case, you know, and you're like, that's a huge advantage. So I'm going to I'm going to capitalize on that. You have to look for those things, you know, but I think you and I are talking about sort of a standard 12 team league, probably PPR. And, you know, tight end premium is becoming more and more popular. I'm all right with it. I don't really care either way. I think tight ends create their own value by having, you know, um, you know, uh, there's just there's just a, 
you know, not a lot of tight ends that are good. So obviously if you have a good one, that creates its own value right there. And if the other, the, the other people in the league don't see that, then just take advantage and, and, and make it your own advantage. But uh, you know, using that type of a league, probably starting between 10 and 12 players, you know, two running backs, three wide receivers, a couple flexes, a super flex, you know, a tight end, so forth and so on. That type of standard league with maybe 25 to 35, you know, total roster spots, 12 team league. Then in that, in those cases, which is very, you know, sort of industry standard, whatever you want to call it, I have a very sort of specific strategy. And I think you do too, because I've seen you implement it to perfection in one league that I'm not even going to talk about. Um, but, you know, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you left the draft. I was like, wait, you have all those players? You're going to be good. Wait, why do you have 521 first? It's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, it was just outstanding. But, but ultimately, that's it. You want to trade back. You, you effectively want to trade back out of your first round pick. And honestly, you want to move back as few spots as possible and pick up as much capital as possible. I mean, that's as simple as it is. Um, you know, there's examples of those trades and, and, but you know, we won't necessarily get into that because it, it does matter. Like, you know, if you have the 1.01, you can probably trade from the 1.01 in a super flex league where Mahomes is there to the 1.02 and get a 21 first. And you know what? That's probably not even crazy because if you were trying to trade, you know, uh, Mahomes for Kyler Murray, you'd probably ask for a 21. Like that's not even a crazy. So that one spot has a great amount of value. Whereas if you're trying to trade from the 104 to the 105, like you probably don't even get anything. Like maybe, I don't know, like, I don't know, not very much unless someone sees a player there. So those little steps and, and, and plateaus you have to recognize and whether or not your opponents recognize them or not, you need to. Yep, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it does matter where, where in the board or where in the first round your pick is. I mean, obviously that, a lot of that's going to be luck of the draw and just what happens. Um, but, you know, it's also what you do with those picks, right? I mean, you could have, you know, like the 107. And yeah, I mean, to move back to the 108, I mean, no one's probably going to do that. But then, so maybe you're looking at, all right, well, maybe I'll look, move to the, you know, early part of the second round. So maybe you're moving back, you know, six, seven, eight spots. Uh, you know, maybe you're not acquiring a, a first round pick, but you're acquiring maybe a second. Uh, maybe you're doing a late pick, another pick swap, or instead of a rookie pick, maybe you acquire a, you know, not, I want to say a mid round pick, but, you know, like, a little bit after mid round, or it's like I guess it's you know you're looking at you know round seven, eight, nine, ten, something like that. But That's if you're right. acquiring you know additional startup picks, then that also giving you more ammunition to whether it's trade that pick back and acquire even more capital, uh, or you have the flexibility to make the pick. You know you could trade that one away for actually rookie capital. I mean, so it's yeah, like you said, acquiring more assets, more value, um, and then and essentially. If you if you can start that off right, and and it's usually not hard. I mean, nowadays I think more people are trying to move back out of the first. But you know, if you're persistent, you could still get something done. Uh, and then from there, it's snowball effect, right? You, you you get one little piece that you've you know gained, and then you're more or less reinvesting that uh, into the next move back. And I, I you know I think in the recent startup that you're talking about, you know you you just did that. You moved back and you took that pick. You moved that one back a little bit more and acquired some more picks. Uh, so you took one first round pick and you might've moved back maybe a round or two, but then now you're looking at you know, several rookie picks and, you know, now 
you know, your your picks from rounds three, four, five, and six, where, you know, I think in most startup drafts, and this year is no exception, I mean, that's where all the, you know, if you can acquire a couple picks in each of those rounds, I mean, you're so stoked. You know, you're looking at the board and, you know, all the values following. People are going to be reaching for some players uh, that maybe overperformed the season before. And, you know, and then you're looking at guys like, you know, Miles Sanders and Antonio Gibson, you know, in the, you know, fourth round, um, you know, you're just picking up guys like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's the way to go if you can. Yeah, yeah. And you and you pointed out, but you know, you, you said one thing that I thought was pretty interesting. You said a lot of people are sort of hip to, you know, this trade back thing and it's a little harder to do. And you know what, you're right. Why? Because we play in leagues where, you know, everybody's I, I go so far as to call them experts, or at least I think they're experts, but you know, a lot of expert leagues where these guys are like it is the competition is extremely strong. And I, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners also play in those leagues, but some of them don't. And then also some of them who do play in leagues without, you know, they're, they're looking for fish all over the place, right? I mean, if you're going to play, the, the, look, I always said when I played poker, I want to play with the richest guys who are the dumbest guys, right? I want to play with rich, dumb people. That's the best poker table I could ever find, right? But you know, so same thing with 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 dynasty football. I mean, if you can play with some really great dudes who are dumb as a box of rocks and they they want to play for a lot of money, rock on. Let's do this. You know, so a lot of our listeners are playing in sort of more casual leagues where they're putting it together with some redraft guys who they played with for years. And they're like, hey, let's get a dynasty league together. Um, you know, and and then you know <clears throat> they're listening to this, they're gonna kill that league. You know, and so. Yeah, it's harder to do the, the 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 way that you trade in an expert league. Man, you're getting a little less value. But I will say, in any 12 team league, there's always I feel like there's always at least a couple people who want to move around, and maybe you're not going to fleece somebody, um, you know, with a move back, you know. But you're definitely going to be able to still accrue value and move back. And like you said, even if you're not getting a first, even if you're getting seconds and a couple you know, mid round picks. And let me go ahead and define mid round in the article. Uh, I'll, I'll lay this out in the article. Let's say you're playing a super flex dynasty league. Well, look right now there's actually, you know, <laughs> about 10 quarterbacks you'd like to have. Everybody else is a gigantic question mark, but generally speaking, look, there's 30 starters, of course, 32, of course, to be exact, but about 30 starters. Let's just parse that down to about 20 to 25 starting quarterbacks that you'd like to have quarterback one and two. Okay, great. So you have 20, let's just call it 25 with uh, running backs. It's about the same number. There's 32 starting running backs. There's a couple of teams where there's not a starting running back that you'd even really want. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a bit, it's a bit ugly there. And there's a couple of teams where there's more than one. All right. So let's just call that 30. Wide receivers certainly gets deeper than that. If you look at wide receivers, there's at least 60 because there's generally about two per team. Some have three. Let's just call that a 75 total. If you're keeping track, you might want to write this down. But, you know, so 25 and 75, 25 quarterbacks, 75 wide receivers, that's 100. Plus those 25, 30 running backs, let's call that 125, 30. Now you've got tight ends, another 15. It's about 150 picks, okay? That's about where... You want to be well. 120 is 10 rounds. 150 is right in that 12th round, somewhere in there. 
Somewhere when you get out to the 12th round is when you're going to start to see things really get like dicey. Um, and a lot of these, um, you know, drafts are 35 rounds or 25 or who knows what, right? So those are late round picks. Anything, you know, whether there's, you know, <laughs> whether there's 45 rounds or 20 rounds, anything after 12 is starting to get a little late. Um, and so the mid rounds that you're talking about are things that are inside of 10. And so, yeah, 10, 9, 8, 7, those are great picks because they're still high quality players. And when you're trading out of the first or out of the second or out of the third even, you know, and moving back, sometimes guys look and be like, that's eh, only a 10th round. I don't give a shit. You know, it's nobody there. And then meanwhile, you're grabbing, you know, your third or fourth quarterback where he only has one or two, you know, he's scrambling for quarter, you know, and then you trade that quarterback the following season for, you know, King's ransom. And so you're just churning value. You're just gathering value. And what ends up happening is, yeah, the player that you would have drafted, you know, in round one or two is going to be better than the player you might have drafted in round, you know, three or four when you move back. But it's it's Devontae Adams versus Terry McLaurin or something like that. And, and and that's a difference, yes. But it's also a gigantic difference to have a quarterback starting in your super flex spot. And, you know, in your third and fourth flex spots, you're starting like, you know, legit high high end starters as opposed to, you know, putting in a you know, a backup running back and hoping he scores or something like that. So the difference that you get from or that you lose from moving down from, you know, Devontae to McLaurin or whatever, that's an example, is way less than the the advantage you're getting, you know, uh later in the draft, plus you just also acquired, you know, the next year's draft capital. So you know, it's like, what the hell? Your team looks so good on paper. It's incredible. But that's the key is to stay within 150 picks, roughly, depending, you know, uh, right in that ballpark. And, it, you know, think about it, 12 rounds. If you start 12 players, well, bingo, there you go. It's right, right in that ballpark. You're talking about drafting starters. And that happens in the first 10 to 12 rounds, maybe sometimes out to 15, you know, depending if rookies are in it or not. But you're getting my drift, I think. Yep. Um, looking at a startup draft right now, um, I'm not in it. I'm just looking at the board. Uh, yeah. And I mean, every year it's, it's right there, right? You have about 150 picks before that cliff. And if you add in like rookie picks into the draft, then, you know, it's going to push it back, you know, maybe a couple rounds more just because yes. you're looking at maybe about 20, 24 rookie picks within that first 150 um, but yeah, I mean, it, it gets dicey every year and, and <laughs> you get to a certain point where you get to round 10, you look at the board and you're like, Mark Ingram is like, like, I remember Mark Ingram was staring at me every 10th or 11th round of every startup <laughs> draft. And, I, and I'm like, I don't want Mark Ingram. Like, but like, I think out of like the 20 times I saw him, I, I pressed the button on him literally once like, and I regretted it immediately. But yeah, that's, that's, what, that's the territory you're getting into, right? An RV that you think or you hope might score versus yeah i mean i'm picking up you know guys like you know chris carson monty um you know those guys are available you know kind of you know i guess closer to like round six you know seven um you know, depending on what type of format you're in but i'd rather have those guys you know <laughs> than, you know ending up with a, a mark ingram at the tail end of his career and just hoping that he has some kind of, you know, miraculous, uh, you know, season. Um, yeah. And, and, and like you're saying, I think talking about scarcity of positions, like especially quarterbacks and super flex, um, 
you know, there's only, yeah, like you said, maybe 10, if that quarterbacks that you feel comfortable rolling out as like your QB one. Uh, and then the rest, maybe up to, you know, 15, 18 quarterbacks, you know, be comfortable having as like your QB two slot or, you know, just rolling it out in your super flex. Um, but if you're not acquiring multiple picks in, you know, round three, four, five, six, you know, seven, you're not going to be able to acquire QBs. I mean, where else are you going to pick them up? You know, I mean, you get to rounds nine, 10 and beyond, you're looking at, you know, the Darnold's, the Winston's, the Garoppolo's and, you know, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I have several of these guys on, on a lot of my teams and, you know, now looking at them, it's, you know, ugh, if I'm stuck with the startup draft, getting these guys, um, because I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't drafting properly. I was trying to chase, you know, chase value by moving, moving upwards. Um, yeah. Then, then you kind of, you know, limit your, your options as you get kind of where it gets, uh, you know, dicey and you want, you want more options uh, earlier. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what's interesting too about taking those those picks and like, you know, you're trading out of the first and into the third or whatever, and you've got, you know, 21 first and, you know, uh, uh, whatever, the, you know, his third, his fifth, his seventh, you know, because of course, you know, what the hell, you're moving from the third round to the first round, you're taking my, my pick five, you're getting Alvin Kamara. Of course, you're gonna have to pay me dearly for that pick, right? So you pay me all that. But then I, I sneak in and I say, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I basically just ask for your 13th round pick and you're like, whatever, you know, throw that shit in there. But then what happens is when it's like the 12th or 13th round and everything is getting dicey, now that pick has just accrued value. It's, it's more valuable now that it's on the clock because people see what the hell's going on the board and they're like, oh shit, if I don't pick here, you know. Maybe the you know, guy moved back, did this, whatever. He doesn't pick for two rounds, and it's like, oh, my God, dude. So now you you can leverage that pick for even more value that you would have never been able to sell it. For, you know, like If you were like, instead, give me a 21 second, he'd be like, no, I'll just give you the 13th, bro, up front. But now you can sell that that 13th pick for 21 second, and you're like, this is amazing. Like So you just continue to churn value, and, and that's how it's done, you know, but – by knowing where those cliffs are and understanding them is kind of what's most important. Um, and, and, and so I, you know, I use that to my advantage every time. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Um, it's, you know, I think you made actually a couple of good points is, yeah, I mean, knowing, you know, how far to move back, right. And kind of knowing your tiers, doing your homework. Um, you know, I, I know people throw around tiers and do this. I mean, for me, when I do a big board, um, yeah, you know, I do positional tiers, but I also kind of have like the board tiered out in general, right? And you kind of know that, okay, you know, there's a couple of tight ends in this range. And then from there, uh, you know, it's going to drop off for a couple of rounds and I'm not going to touch tight end, right? So you know, either I get one now or I'm just going to have to just, you know, fade it all the way. Uh, but if you're not prepared to know when those drops are happening, uh, you know, when, when the drop from like a Noah Fant to hunter henry right i mean there there's a teardrop there i think i mean it's close but you know most drafts i see is you know most people want noah fan about a round earlier than hunter henry and nothing really in between them uh, and then from hunter you have like the jiseki's and the goddards and they're all kind of lumped in that kind of tier together but knowing when if you're going to target tight end all right well this is my last chance i'll drop to round eight and i need to just stay there so preparation is key in that regard uh, and then the other thing is, you know, if I'm in round one and, lots of, and like we were talking about, everyone's trying to move back and, you know, that's the whole name of the game. 
what I see a lot is, and it doesn't work is, and I, 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 I'm guilty of this all the time. I, I'm, I'm holding 108 and I'll say, oh, I want to move back to the early second only, right? I only want to move back a couple of spots, but I want something for it. Think about it. If you're playing with sharps, no one's, no one's going to pay you to move up four or five spots when they're probably doing tiers too. It right. only makes sense for them if the, the move is significant. So it's a round one to round three drop. So I'm moving back two rounds. Then you can start asking for, like you said, like a three, a five, and a seven, and I'll give you, you know, my one, and I'll give you a, a 10 or something, back, or maybe not a 10, but a 12 or whatever. And, and you're moving something, you know, eight rounds up by moving about a couple rounds, and you gain another pick on top of that. Um, but, yeah, I think that's also key is, you know, knowing that if you're going to move back, sometimes – you know, a little bit more of aggressive move back versus just trying to say, oh, I want to move back just a handful of spots, which not really going to work versus, you know what? Yeah, I'll move back two rounds. You know, who wants to who wants to make this deal? <clears throat> give me a first and, you know, let's swap swap a couple of picks and give me, you know, maybe an additional pick or something late. Um, but yeah, I think that's also key is being somewhat aggressive in that move back uh, to open up the market and open up the kind of options you have in, from the suitors. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you make a great point in terms of, of moving back. And it's funny because like I think of it too, like, you know, some guys will want to leave a startup draft with a team that, that that like almost like it's a redraft league, whereas I don't care at all about that, which brings me to sort of my next point, which is I'm drafting in a dynasty league for value rather than drafting in a dynasty league to complete my roster, right? You know, and that's why I'm willing to trade away the pick that could be Alvin Kamara or Dalvin Cook in that first round, not because I don't want them on my team. I realize that having one of those players in general on your team makes your team more likely to win. I get that. I'm totally hip to that. So if 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 you have to win year one, I don't know, maybe trading back isn't the best move. I get that. Like I I see that. Although I've done it a couple times and like You've done it too, where you you've traded back, done that whole thing, this whole strategy of you know, and I'm gonna have Ryan uh, McDowell on you know in a couple weeks. I'm not exactly sure which week, but that's pretty exciting. Uh, little name drop there. Love Ryan; he's the Godfather, the man. Uh, but you know, he sort of coined that productive struggle, um, which is I think pretty similar to what you and I are talking about. However. Uh, I don't necessarily need to struggle too much. Sometimes I think I'm gonna, and then I'm ended up in the Super Bowl in year one. You're like, and then I still have these first round picks next year. So I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, in a redraft league, you're drafting for fantasy points. That's it. You know, that year fantasy point. I'm trying to maximize the amount of fantasy points in my starting lineup. That's it. Whereas in a dynasty league, that's not it. That is not what I'm doing. I'm I'm drafting for maximum future value. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to pick the guy that's going to appreciate over time, that's going to be worth more in six minutes or six months or six years than he is today. And I'm looking to to do that over and over again, so much so that my team is so much more valuable in terms of, you know, coins, you know, if I were to exchange them in, I have more value than any other team. And in doing so, I can then uh, acquire, you know, Dalvin Cook when my team is ready to go, which you saw me do in a, in a league this year, you know, where I, I spent, I think, three first round picks for Alvin Kamara to make a Super Bowl run. Well, 
that obviously was a pretty good idea. The dude scored six touchdowns in whatever week it was. You know, that's the guy you want to go for to 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 to, to buoy a stretch run. But you don't want to do you you know he doesn't do you any good if you're eight you know seven and nine or whatever whatever you know five hundred record not making the playoffs and not winning shit and drafting you know in the middle. I mean, it just doesn't do any good for you. You either want to you know be going for it or you know gaining value until you are ready to win that thing. I hope that made sense. Yeah, it, it does. And it did. And um, it reminds me of a conversation you actually had with our buddy, uh, Mike Lou uh, on your podcast, uh, you know, several episodes ago talking about, you know, contending and non-contending and, you know, what to do with, you know, teams that are in, you know, kind of outside that maybe that top five or top six teams, um, you know, midseason. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's you, you build a team, you draft a team to, I mean, in my mind, in a startup to um, acquire or in, in, increase in value over the next two years, you know, three years, maybe max, but really in a two year time frame. Uh, and, and then you're looking at, yeah, I want to gain assets for the future while building a nice core that's productive now but i what i do believe is they're going to be more productive in the next couple of years now just going to continue to be better and and better and um it, obviously when they're pr- producing better on the field they're increasing in value and once you feel like you're in that top echelon of teams in your league uh and then now re- referencing back to that that episode is you know, then then you then you use that draft capital you've accumulated during those startup drafts and those trade backs and you know you've had that luxury now right because Maybe the startup draft was two years ago and you acquired some 21 picks. And I, I see you do this all the time where you'll get a 2021 20, first and then come rookie draft time, you'll have three or four of those. And maybe your team's already stocked up. Like you don't need to use all that. So you're going to say, you'll be on the clock and you'll say, hey, I'll trade this 108 for two of your 2022 20, first. And the guy's right. salivating at the mouth because he just wants to make a pick. He wants to pick. Devontae Smith right now at 108 or whatever it is. And he's just like, Oh, I'll do it. And you're like, okay. And, and you know, whatever it is, maybe the next season is not as, you know, highly, highly prized as this year. So the guy's like, Oh, I'll just, whatever. I'll just sell those off now and worry about it later. And you're like, okay, fine. So you, now you have two dart throws and you just doubled up whatever you had there. And then come next year, now you can make a pick. You can trade that. You can actually take those two picks. Now, add one more on top and go get a Dalvin cook. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly what we're talking about is you have flexibility. And then when you feel like you're ready to really make a run at it, you just dip in there. You're like, well, shoot, I have, you know, literally, and this is not even exaggerating. You have eight, nine picks in the rookie draft. You don't need eight, nine picks. I mean, your team's already, you know, pretty, pretty stocked, you know, maybe it's not fully stacked to the, to the you know to the brim where you're like gonna dominate but yeah you're pretty good you don't need nine rookie picks that year um so maybe you'll trade a couple a consolidate and um get a, a stud rb or you know maybe a, another quarterback to make a run at it and um you know then you trade another one away and you get more future assets and you just rinse and repeat every year right so then some of the guys get older and you're swapping those guys out with some of the new talent so yeah that's um, that that that's exactly right. And like, so for me, you know, I think it's, it's like, so I, I, I just did a draft. It was like 35 players and, and I, my running backs are uh, my, my RB one is Ezekiel Elliott. My RB two, you saw this draft. 
My RB2 is Jeremy McNichols. Like, <laughs> I literally don't have any running back. Now, I do have uh, picks uh, four, five, uh, like 13 and 17 in the upcoming 21 draft because I, you know, those were also picks I could take. Now, those are going to be either, you know, Najee Harris, Etienne, or uh, Javante, or whatever. I'm going to, I'm uh, Jamar Jefferson, maybe. Who knows? I mean, I'm going to have a couple of opportunities to grab some running backs in the rookie draft. Um, you know, even before this season starts, I really wouldn't normally uh, go into a season with Jeremy McNichols as my RB two. But the point I'm making here is I didn't take any, like he literally is my second best running back on the roster because it's a super deep league. And, you know, there's like, I think he, there's like two running backs, three wide receivers, three flex. There's like six flex like, oh, because yeah, because there's like three and then, you know, three more, there's no tight end position. So there's like three regular flex and then three tight end flexes where you can play running back or wide receiver. So like, it's super deep. So you can play like, I don't remember. It was like eight or nine wide receivers if you wanted to. And it's PPR tiered PPR. So tight ends are more valuable, but those wide receivers are still valuable. And I am loaded at receiver. Now that also speaks to my, my, my strategy, because here's the thing you mentioned a couple of backs, like, you know, I don't want, I don't remember who, oh, Mark Ingram. I'd rather have Carson or Monty or whatever. I don't want any of those guys, you know, because wherever Carson and Monty and, uh, you know, Ingram, wherever those guys are going, I will bet you that there is a wide receiver available at that pick who will be relevant in three years when those guys are gone. Like, because Carson's not going to be, I mean, maybe he will, but, but you look at the track record, like Todd Gurley, David Johnson, Lev Bell. All those guys are like 28, 29. Todd Gurley's like 26. Like these guys are like, were studs. They were the top three. They were probably the top six picks in a startup draft like three years ago. They're dead. They're like not even relevant. They're dead. And that's going to happen to all the running backs all the time. It's not, they're not special cases. This is what they, what happens where wide receivers like right now, CD Lamb, or you pick the running back in this class, you know, and Justin Jefferson, or you pick the running back in their class, who's going to be more valuable? Now, it doesn't matter yet, but in eight years, it's those other guys are going to be gone. They're not even going to be in the league, the running backs, but Jefferson and Lamb will still be, they'll be like 29 years old. They'll be like, you know, DeAndre Hopkins <laughs> and Devontae Adams right now. Like, you're fine with those guys. Like, those are stable assets. You can draft those guys, and you can draft later guys like Ayuk or Higgins or whatever, whoever is that, you know, uh, Chark, LaVisca Chanel. I'm going to take the wide receivers the whole way through and and just fade those running backs. The only reason I need running backs, you know, I mean, you, you want to be trading those running backs, you know. I mean, obviously, on any team that dominates, you generally look and you're like, oh, dude, look, I have Kamara, Barkley, and Cook or whatever. Of course you do. Yeah, you need those to win. I'm not disagreeing with that. But if you draft all those guys and you don't have any depth at wide receiver, you A, may not win because even though you have those guys, your team isn't complete. But your team is going to be probably shit in like three years. Like, you know, uh, unless you properly trade them. But I would always just rather load load that up with wide receivers, things that are going to be worthwhile for a long period of time, and then just try and nab running backs in the draft. Or trade you know rookie picks for stud backs you know so for me it's that simple like when my team is like knocking on the door i'll make a purchase and i'll purchase a running back but i don't want those running backs sitting on my roster 
because they just like Todd Gurley and David Johnson and Lev Bell, all these here today, gone tomorrow. And one of the reasons that they're they're volatile is yes, the position is more demanding physically, whereas you can kind of you know maybe get by with a little guile as a as a wide receiver, where you're certainly getting by with that as a running back. You need some pop, some juice as a running back. But one other thing that I say all the time, I think I've said it on this pod a few times, if not once, is it, you know, okay, C.D. Lamb went to um, Dallas. Amari Cooper was still a stud. Justin Jefferson went to Minnesota. Thielen had a great year, and, so, and Jefferson was the a legend. There's room for more than one receiver. But in running backs, Carryon Johnson was murdered by DeAndre Swift. He was. He's it, now. If those were wide receivers, you'd be like, oh yeah, the Carryon and Swift, they're both good, but they're not. I mean, they are, but it doesn't matter how good Carryon is or isn't. If he doesn't play. Can't score points, and that's what happens to running backs. They get eviscerated by younger, better talent, and then they're gone. But wide receivers can hold on. Marvin Jones, like think about how valuable Marvin Jones has been. He's played with Kenny Galladay, and really, if he was a running back, he would have had a two-year career. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> Marvin Jones is such a great example. Like last season, um, I was willing to give up a second. <laughs> to acquire Marvin Jones, you know, just to get him as my, you know, my flex, you know, <laughs> get him my right. flex. I'll pay, you know, a second round rookie pick um, just to get on my team. And then you tell me, um, you know, give me a second for, you know, somebody like a running back. And I'd probably say, no, I don't want to do that or it's not enough or whatever it is. But yeah, I think wide receivers hold their value uh, much longer, like you said. And, that's something I've started to learn more and more than what I've played is, you know, you get enamored and yeah, you know that you can't win a, a, a league without at least one stud running back, if not, you know, a couple, um, to, you know, really kind of carry you the way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fickle window. And, you know, if you're not ready to roll, what's the point of having a, a Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley and it's going to take you, you know, at least a couple of seasons to get, you know, get up and running and maybe start looking at making a run um, when you can just move those guys now, get more assets that you can actually grow with. And then when you're ready to, um, you know, ready to rock, then you, know, you have that additional asset to go and reacquire the new hot item, right? I mean, a couple of years ago, it was, you know, you know, Barkley. And now, you know, you can, you know, everybody wants, you know, Jonathan Taylor, right? In a couple of years, it's going to be the next guy. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right in terms of, um, you know, how, how you want to construct your roster. I mean, for me personally, looking at the way the QB landscape has been going, uh, and I've always been a big proponent of QB, uh, especially the way format I play is like six point touchdown, passing touchdowns. Um, you know, I I like having a, a really good QB versus a really good running back, right? I help build around a QB, get some good receivers. You know, give me a T. Higgins, give me a Iuke. Um, and those are the kind of guys I'm building around now um, are, yeah, the receivers like, um, you know, Higgins and Iuke, uh, you know, guys like that. Corton Sutton is another guy that I, and I like a lot. Yeah, I'm with you on Sutton too. I mean, I thought he was ready to break out. And, you know, we'll see if uh, Denver gets a uh, a quarterback to throw it to him. But, yeah, that, that th- those are my two cents, man. And, you know, it, it's not the only way. I wouldn't go out here and say, Hey, look, this is the only way 
to build a team because it's a hundred percent not. That's that I will also tell you because I played with with guys who play at the complete opposite, and they're not wrong. They're literally not wrong. It's it's just if you ask me to be, how do I be consistently competitive for the longest period of time? Which is kind of what dynasty is. It, it, that's it. You know, you just want to, and, and and then don't be afraid to make trades. You know, uh, you know, to to keep it going. You know, like you said, I mean, I can I can tell you a league where I had, um, uh, I was the defending champ, and I had the one hundred two and the one hundred six, and that was uh, the Saquon draft, and it was I wanted, you know, Geis really bad. Geis is one of my favorite players. You know this. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so coming out, he was even more. I mean, obviously now it's easy to say, oh, what's so good about guys? Well, coming out, he was like, I mean, oh, he was such a fun prospect, like like incredible fun prospect, uh, you know, really had the upside. I wanted to draft Darius Geis, but I traded that 1-2 and the 1-6 for, I want to say it was two first the next year and then like maybe one even one, like a, the, you know, the later year, but – I really was trying to position for this 2020 class. I really was, you know, I knew, or, or the 2019 and 2020 class, like, you know, cause the 2019 or the 2020 class, excuse me. Yeah. Th- this past year, you know, we knew all these running backs were coming out. And I was like, that's a great class to be. in. I have no problem with that. My team did win the title that year in that league, but I traded the one, two, the one, six for future first. Plus I also got like a second that year. So I'm like, didn't really go that far down. I, don't remember who I took with that second. I'd have to look, but you know, my, 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 my arch nemesis in that league drafted Darius Geis and Royce Freeman with those two picks Oof. and right. And they weren't bad picks at the time. I yeah. was like, he's dude, he's set, man. He's got two <laughs> stud running backs coming in yeah. and one busted out. And the other one, you know, obviously is Darius Geis. Who's just a, you know, an enigma at this point, but even that whole class, it was carry on Johnson, Ronald Jones, Sony, Michelle, Obviously, if you if you took you know Chubb and Barkley, you were good. But you know, I the point I guess I'm making too is with these picks, there's no sure thing. It's not like I was anti. I liked Royce Freeman. Okay, I, I loved Geis. Michelle was pretty cool. I loved Chubb. Obviously, everybody loved Barkley, but like I didn't like Ronald Jones. But all that didn't matter. It's like no matter who you liked, it was kind of like you know you just missed and and I didn't know that. I'm not saying I knew that. I actually was really disappointed at the time, but I had the the sort of the courage to to know my roster and to continue to put value in that in that sort of iron bank of future first, which served me well because I think on that that particular team, I think I have it's kind of ridiculous. I have Barkley, Kamara, Cook, but I also have uh, Dobbins, uh, Acres, and JT. You know, <laughs> right? Be, be, because I kept pushing and pushing forward. And then all of a sudden I had these three first in this, in this awesome draft. And I was like, click, 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 you know, it was just like, <laughs> you know, boom. I, you know, I think it's acres. Yeah. Acres Dobbins and, uh, and, and JT, it's just like, holy smoke. So, you know, it took the patience to get there. And, and sometimes it like, that's where it's just value. You know, if you can get that right deal, it works for you and understanding your team. Honestly, if I didn't have, you know, some stud running backs. I think I had Dalvin. I don't think I had, J- uh, I don't think I had Saquon at the time. I s- traded for him when he, when he was hurt, but uh, I think I had Gurley. I did. I had Gurley and Kamara and Cook, and it was like, I don't need a running back. Why am I, you know, I'm going to draft Geis. He's going to sit on the bench. I might as well, you know, make that type of trade. And these are the types of things 
that you you have to be ready to do based off of what your what your what your uh, roster looks like. Yep. No, I agree. Um, it really matters. Um, yep. Roster construction and yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah. And we're going to have a, a roster construction talk with uh, with Reedy. I know he wanted to come back and do a redraft roster construction. And I forgot who the heck he wanted to have as my dynasty guy on that one. But we're definitely going to do that. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. But, you know, one thing I, I think, you know, that you had that you'd mentioned was the anatomy series. And now I might as well touch on that just briefly. But, you know, one thing that, you know, with the anatomy of a running back or wide receiver, tight end or quarterback yeah, I got to, you know, you, you, you did send me a couple of those DMS where dudes are like, I'm building my entire, you know, thing off this. And it's like, it's very flattering. I, I would, I would say don't build anything off of any single thing. You know, even though I think it's, it's, it's hugely valuable. And I was looking for, you know, some really highlighting information about what these high level prospects look like. You still, you still want to, um, you know, uh, use all the data that you have every bit, every piece and, you know, and sort of be a supercomputer that takes in as much of that data as possible and try to process it with the best decisions you can make and, and never be sure. Be, I wrote this down the other day. I was like, be ready to be wrong, right? Like be ready to be wrong. Like, which means like, like I'll give you an example. You'll like this one, Chuck. Henry Ruggs right now. Like I was, I was fading Henry Ruggs. I didn't draft him anywhere. I have zero Henry Ruggs. Like literally not a single share anywhere in any team at all. Orphans, <laughs> nowhere. I have no Henry Ruggs. I, it just was like, he, to me, he was a third round prospect. I, I, you know me, I love Darnell Mooney. Like I'm, I'm I, you know, why would I draft Ruggs when I could have had Mooney? I said that, you know, literally uh, before the, the draft. I mean, this was, this was the way I felt. So I have zero Ruggs. Okay. I'm ready to be wrong. I'm literally now leaning back into is Ruggs a buy low? Because if he is a great player, now all the people who drafted him are ready to cut bait. You may be able to get him as a throw in. You know, I will lean back into that uncertainty because I don't know that he's not good. I just bet he wasn't good. I don't know. I don't know shit. And neither do you or anybody else or, you know, anybody listening. We we think we know and you know, you could say, no, he sucks for sure. And you might be right, but you still didn't know when you said it, you know, it's like, you know, he might actually turn out. And so those are the types of things, be ready to be wrong and try and lean into that. Yeah. Um, Spider-Man on the rugs thing, uh, first of all, but yeah, it's, I started, I, you know, I always, you know, I started to like look at it more, but yeah, I mean, one thing I'm always doing now is um, looking at the guy's, whether like whether I like them or not, right? Even if I like somebody, it's be ready to be wrong. And you know, is if this guy's peaking in value right now, or it perceived value seems very high, um, and I like him a lot. I mean, is he going to sustain this, or is he going to meet that expectation? I think it, just an example I've been kind of going through right now is like Jalen Hurts. Like I like Jalen Hurts. I liked him as a prospect. I thought he was he was intriguing. He is Konami, um, and I think he has, you know. Um, potential but the way he's being valued and perceived right now it's pretty high and i'm ready to be wrong that you know what maybe he's not going to be as good as you know we think he is or we hope he's going to be um so if i can trade him at a very high point and get maximum value at what i think right now 
um, I'll be ready to be wrong. Like maybe maybe he isn't as good as I thought. So I'll be able to move right. him there. I mean, that's kind of reverse example or the other way, right? But like it's a, a good one. Yeah, or the Henry yeah. Ruggs example. Yeah, um, I've, I've actually been thinking about Henry Ruggs myself. Like I really didn't like him at all, but a lot of people that are, are you know, smart or considered smart, they like them. So maybe they're right and I'm wrong. And hey, look, like, you know, the name of the game is if you can get 50% right, um, you're, you're doing okay. And anything above that, I mean, you're probably making some money. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, looking at that, maybe there is an acquisition point for, for someone like Ruggs or, um, you know, guys that you weren't fans of. I mean, I think Montgomery was an example of last year. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get any of them because I still didn't like them, but, (laughs) but yeah, it was be ready to be wrong. And I, I kind of had a feeling with, with Cohen being out that, yeah, there's a possibility that Monty will be better than, um, than I think, or I, I advertise uh, all of my timeline, and um, <laughs> you know, just gotta be very wrong. I, I think it's a great one. Well, it's funny you brought up Monty because I swear to God, if you hadn't mentioned it and stopped talking, I was gonna say just like me and you with Monty and Sanders, right? Yeah. You know, another guest I'm gonna have on uh, in the coming weeks now is Angelo, and uh, you know, me, you, and Angelo. I mean, obviously we we teamed up on him. We were both Team Sanders. He was Team Monty, but you know. We weren't thinking this guy's an idiot. We were thinking, you know, uh, Angela, we were thinking, I think he's wrong. So we're going to argue the point. And actually by arguing, you tend to find out more about your position as well as the other person's position. And you go, huh. And you start to think about it. If you're not considering that you might be wrong, you're going to miss all of your opportunities to either, you know, get off a guy that you were wrong about or get on a guy that you were, you know, wrong about the other way. And, and, you know, that can, that can cost you, you know, uh, you know, Devante Parker being ready for his breakout, like, you know, understanding that, Hey man, this was a, this was a high, you know, high caliber player. And then when he starts to break out, if you're just like, no, he still sucks. Like, I don't know, like, you know, you, I got Devante Parker so late in so many drafts, you know, because people had given up on him, And it's like, even after he started to break out, people were like, eh, whatever. He still sucks. And it's like, I don't know. Like, does he, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. Like I'm willing to, to see at cost. Why not? Why, why wouldn't I? Like, I don't, you know, there's so many guys who will say things like, dude, that guy's burned me before. What? Or no, not that guy. Never again. It's like, well, I, I mean, why, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, I don't care what he's done in the, I mean, I do care what he's done in the past, but I only really care what what's going to happen tomorrow. Like that's it. And if he's going to provide me value at cost, then what's the problem? You know? Yeah. I mean, Stefan Diggs, right. I mean, I know there's people that said, Oh, I don't want Stefan Diggs. I, after all those Viking years, no, he's disappointment. He's going to Buffalo and no way. And you know, if, if you, if you weren't ready that, you know, the possibility that no, he actually might be really good in Buffalo. Uh, you you missed it and you know and I missed it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I did. You were right. I was wrong. Like that was certainly something where I never thought Diggs was bad. I actually Diggs was one of my favorite players. As a matter of fact, you go back to the the Stephon Diggs David Johnson draft. Those were my two favorite like you know players in that draft because they were drafted outside the uh, you know day one day two, but they just looked like can't miss pro- prospects. I loved those two dudes, and you know I remember wanting the Patriots to draft both of them because they, you know, could have, you know, I mean, anybody could have, they, they, you know, the whole league passed on them too many times. So, and uh, you know, so those were great plays, but you know, 
uh, you're right. I was, I was wrong about that circumstance and all the rest of it. And, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I, you know, if I could have acquired him, I, w- I would have, but I wasn't paying enough because I was wrong and you're absolutely right. So I, I love that. Um, you know, speaking of, uh, uh, of, of being wrong, we certainly weren't wrong when we brought on some new members. I, I got to give you the chance to tell the people I am so excited. One of my, one of my past guests, um, you know, uh, Chris Robin, who you guys might remember Detroit beastie. Um, he's such a good dude. I mean, I actually hadn't talked to him. I'd only known him on Twitter before that, that interaction and having him on the pod was like a breath of fresh air. I mean, he was so prepared. He was so like energetic and articulate and like, uh, knowledgeable and fun and engaging and kind and generous. Like I was like, dude, this, and the, the work he put in just to be on my show was like overwhelming and he knew his DFS stuff. We did touch on his DFS work. Um, he sort of admits what he doesn't know. Well, lo and behold, Chris Robin, the DFS master, Detroit Beastie, is on our team at the Undroppables. I am so thrilled. You know, there's there's some guys I, I've brought on and, and sort of influenced onto this team. And, you know, he's right there at the top, man. I mean, I am so glad to be working with this guy. And maybe you can speak to him and course introduce one other person that we brought in that's super exciting as well yeah beastie uh has been a great addition i'm so excited to have him um join us and covering the dfs side of things um yeah he came highly recommended by yourself um you know among some others and you know when i when term and i spoke with them i mean this guy came in suit and tie to the zoom interview just to you know really make a really good impression on us and you know, really excited about um, Chris. Also, really excited about uh, adding um, IDP Flea, um, the Fleester. Uh, he'll be covering IDP for us. Um, you know, adding a whole new wrinkle to what we've been doing and expanding our our, our scope and format uh, formats that we cover. Uh, so Flea is another great addition. So I'm really excited about Flea and just a couple other shout outs. Uh, Michael Michael Duncan. Um, you know, he's actually joined us. Um, actually producer for your podcast now. Um, so yeah, a shout out to Michael and Don Mega, who is now you know, yeah. producing you know, some of our, our video content, our hype videos, and really building out our YouTube with um, Tommy. So yeah, I mean, real big shout out to all those guys adding to our team. And, uh, you know, I feel like we have a, a full squad now, um, you know, the all 22. And I feel like uh, this year, you know, we're really primed for... Um, you know, a, a great run. Yeah, man, you said it. I mean, you know, I, I was talking some shit about Michael because he he's like, you know, when 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 we talked to him, he was like, um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll just do your pod. And that's, you know, that's it. I don't want to do too much more. And, I, you know, almost as you know, he gave me the impression he didn't know as much and, you know, just kind of played it coy and cool. And then the dude is like, I mean, he is legit. I, I'm going to have him on the show very soon. I mean, like he he's very good at this stuff. He knows his stuff. He's great on Twitter. You know, he's great in the group chats. Really, you know, has a lot to offer. Uh, Don Mega is amazing. Like I, I, you know, I had interacted with him. I didn't know he was this skilled in terms of you know what he can provide for us on the YouTube channel, which is kind of coming together now. We really needed help there because you know if you have me do it, it's basically just you know. I, no, I'm joking. We're, we're in trouble if I'm in charge of that shit. But, you know, Tommy, obviously now with him, 
really has the help he needs. And, you know, it's just unbelievable. So, you know, to have the YouTube page kind of taken off with some like legit, you know, uh, information there and, and, and also just fun stuff. Like it's, it's fun as hell, you know, with, with that page, what's going on and, you know, and, and we're going to go from there. Right. So we're going to expand, you know, past that, um, you know, so yeah, I couldn't be more excited. Michael's fantastic. Uh, you know, IDP, obviously just having some IDP content, you know, we're, we're not going to say that we're the leader in IDP because we, you know, brought on one person, but we're, we're going to go there. I mean, you know, what's interesting about that too, is that actually Detroit Beasties, another IDP guy. So, you know, having those two guys sort of work together, sort of two new guys coming on and uh, yeah, it's just amazing. So we, we are, we are growing it and these guys are like legit, uh, you know, high quality, uh, people who are going to bring content. So, you know, if you're, you know, whatever you're looking for, whether it's IDP DFS, I, I, I even just tweeted today about, um, DFS hockey, you know, um, uh, beastie is a, is a hell of a DFS hockey player and has content on that. So if you're jonesing for some winning some money here, just follow at Detroit Beastie and and uh, over at the Undroppables and and start making some money on hockey. You don't even need to know anything about hockey. Just do whatever the hell he says and you'll make money. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's what he was telling us. I mean, he has nice formula down after all the years he's put in. I mean, I think he's put in almost a decade into DFS. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to um, make some, make <laughs> yeah. some money with Beastie myself. <laughs> just throw a little bit cash in. You know, screw all the all the stock shit, man. I'm gonna go with something that I know, which, which is fantasy football. <laughs> That's awesome, and you know, I mean, and so we have all that going on at the same time. You know, obviously, uh, you know, uh, you know, term. You've heard me mention it so many times. Uh, the unscripted pod should be back. I think they're recording this week, if not next week. I think they're they're jonesing to get back on the mic. Um, you know, the Super Bowl special last year, we kind of had them out there, but the unscripted pod is great. It's a great source for you know, um, you know, dynasty talk, but also like just football talk. These guys really break down the comings and goings of the league and put it to actionable information. I miss their pod because it helps me get, you know, sort of, uh, my head on straight with what the hell's going on in the league. Like they're really, you know, ear to the ground. They, they're really good. Um, the unmatched pod is a lot of fun. Obviously Dave Marshawn doing that, which is, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll be back. I think he did his final show for uh, the Super Bowl, which was a lot of fun. Uh, Tommy Moe with his his podcast, which is the two on one fantasy uh, network that he had, which is basically now part of the Undroppables network. But Tommy's two on one show, they've been doing a lot of unsung heroes, and unsung heroes is kind of that offensive line talk, defensive line talk, a lot of uh, you know sort of uh, line talk. And I will tell you. You know, you know, Brad Wire joins him there. So you got Tommy and Brad, as well as others. Uh, Dukes shows up on there, I think, sometimes, and uh, some of the other uh, uh, other guys. But you know, if we just go to Brad Wire and his offensive line breakdowns and unsung heroes, it sounds like a bunch of nonsense. Oh, what the hell do I need to know about offensive line? Well, how about how about the Kansas City Tampa Bay Super Bowl? If if that doesn't show you everything that you need to know about why line play matters. Now that's a glaring one. That one was, was clear, but as it turned out, we probably should have been more actionable on that information because that, that can't, uh, the Tampa Bay front was dope. Kansas city's offensive line, uh, not dope. And it, it was the, it was the difference in the game. And so when you talk about 
why we have offensive line rankings, why we invest so much of our time and energy talking about it and bring it to the forefront. It's because it matters. It doesn't, you know, you're not going to draft a, a, a tackle in your, in your dynasty draft. And you're probably not going to change who you draft based on offensive line, maybe a little, but week to week, you know, matchups, all these things, that's where you win on the margins. And and having dudes who know what the hell they're talking about, like Brad Wire, Tommy, et cetera, it really is going to help you become a better player. And that's all found at one spot, right here at the Undroppables. And, you know, that speaking of that Kansas City Tampa uh, you know, uh game, we should probably get to that, eh, Chuck? Yeah, the greatest game in history. <laughs> I mean, kinda. Yeah, I mean, if you look at just the, I mean, I mean, just put it in perspective. I mean, Tom Brady's career. I mean, I'm I'm just an uh, in instant stand of Tom Brady now, finally appreciating his greatness. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just the game itself. Watching a team actually stop that Chiefs juggernaut offense, like actually stopping them. Um, in a prime time, I mean, the biggest game of all games. Um, and then Tom, I mean, just rising to the occasion. People are hating. Oh, he didn't win the game. The defense did. I mean, he made the plays, though. I mean, <laughs> he made the throws. And um, and the guys made the catches. And, and that's what it comes down to. Um, I don't know if many people know, but, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Tampa fan. I'm not a bandwagon guy. I've been a Tampa fan through many, many years, a couple of decades of um of uh, terror and, <laughs> and torment. Um, you know, we did have you know, another Super Bowl victory um, against the Raiders, but, you know, it's been quite some time and, it, you know, it was great to see that, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed the game. I don't think most people probably did from a casual standpoint, but, um, you know, great defense and, you know, just kind of tying it back to IDP. Um, I know Flea had mentioned this on his timeline that Devin White is the, uh, the 101 in IDP now formats in terms of uh, you know, defensive players and uh, that that they put a smile on my face just as, just to see that today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm I play in a little bit of IDP here and there. I play one. I think I've uh, mentioned on the pod that 32 team league that I should have won. I did. I didn't win it. I didn't make it to the semifinals, and I'm I'm a little bit hurt. Um, you know, it took the uh, the highest scoring uh, week in the in the in the league history so far to beat me in semis. So, you know, I'm not bitter though. I mean, or 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 am I? Maybe I am bitter. Sound sound pretty bitter. But uh, anyway, I'm joking. But the IDP is a lot of fun once you start to get into it a little bit. It's it's a lot uh, for me. Uh, so you know, just to keep track of it, um, you know, it's not that easy. But it's a lot of fun. But you know, Tom Brady. And Patrick Mahomes, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, by the way, did you see the the throw he made where he was like tripped and he was like upside down, like almost he was literally flying through the air and like threw it somehow. But th- he was on the 30 like he, it wasn't like he pitched it into the end zone. He was on the 30 like that's a pretty decent throw for like a, a regular human. Not not an NFL quarterback, I know, but like if you're standing on the thirty and you're like you try to zip it to the end zone, let me tell you, that's a it's a for real throw. He was airborne fall. I mean that throw, and he hits his player in the face mask. <laughs> I think it was Daryl Williams, right? Like I was like, yeah, that was the greatest play I've ever seen. And if he catches that football, it's the I think it's the greatest NFL throw I have ever seen. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, that throw was amazing. I mean, yeah, he was parallel with the ground and somehow still has the perfect motion. Like, like physically, like how, how that does that possible? even? How is that possible? Like physically, like your yeah. your shoulder, like your rotator, like how is that possible? Yeah, and then yeah, that throw thirty <laughs> right. yards. Like, I mean, more than thirty yards, right? He was on the thirty, and then yeah, so you know, thirty-two yards or so, thirty, you know, whatever. And yeah, I mean, on the money, on the, on the literally on the nose, um, <laughs> just ridiculous. It made no sense. I, I you know, I. I literally still can't figure it out. Like I, you know, <laughs> I hope all our listeners, like, especially I know our listener, like I, you know, I see the demographics, you guys are young, go out in the backyard, you know, and, and literally try and do that. Like jump in the air, ho- pr- parallel to the ground and throw the football. You won't be able to hit shit. You're not going to hit anything. You're not going to throw it at, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a comedy. It's not even a thing. And he did it in the Super Bowl and put it on the fucking dot. Like it doesn't even – I honestly, I don't even know how to how to process that throw. It was absolutely out of control. Um, you know, so Mahomes was outstanding really in my book. I mean, you know, I thought he – I thought the coaching was pretty bad. I mean, obviously they had, they were dealing with, you know, I think – look, I think there was a distraction with, with uh, Andy Reid's kid and – I don't know. There was just a lot there, you know, losing the offensive tackle. They they weren't game planning well. It's really kind of a, uh, you know, an ugly game for them. I mean, I said it on the pod. I was like, you know, Kansas City scores 30 every game and they didn't even score a touchdown. So, you know, you can say what you will about like Tampa's D. They played outstanding. I said that on the pod, too. I said it, it's it's very possible that the Tampa defense is the unit that wins the game in this in this game. Um, and it sure was, but I thought, I thought Kansas city left a lot on the field, you know, game management, time management, obviously a couple picks penalties, you know, it was just, there was a lot of culmination. Uh, and then Brady was perfect, you know, didn't make a mistake. Um, you know, basically was perfect. You know, I mean, he's 21 to 29, I think, but you know, just kind of just did everything he needed to do to win the game. Most of his stuff came in the first half. So once they were up in the second half, yeah, Brady wasn't going to be chucking it all over the place, but he was dynamite in the first half when they got their, I think it was 21-3 or whatever, 21-6 lead. So, uh, yeah, 21-6. So, I mean, at the end of the day, he was that good, and and they deserved to win. It was a lot of fun being a Pats fan to watch, you know, Tom at 43 go go hoist that trophy with with Gronk and – and that team's kind of cool. I mean, Mike Evans, Godwin, Antonio Brown won a Super Bowl. Like, this is just some some crazy shit was happening there. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, I mean, for a, you know, somewhat of an uneventful game, it was you know some crazy stuff happened. The Mahomes play, and um, you know, just I mean, and then you know, seeing playoff Lenny come alive. I mean, it's so awesome to see um, Lenny and. Um, yeah, some some of the some of the nuanced parts of the game, um, you know, the defense, the offensive line, Kansas City offensive line, like you mentioned. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Brady had a perfect game, but you know, he had that interception that got called back. I, I, you know, he got lucked out on that one. Um, sure, that's true. You know, but yeah, I mean, you know, overall, overall, good game, and um. I think that one hit his player first, though, or something like that, didn't it? Wasn't it like tipped? Or yeah, some shit? I think it was a, t- a tip. Um, yeah. But in any event, you know, uh, you, you know, you make a good point, and we're going to be talking about it going forward. Is Leonard F- Fournette? Um, 
he looked really good. I mean, he, you know, pretty soon we're going to, you know, the, 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 this uh, unscript, uh, undrafted pod is going to be uh, talking a little bit about these free agents and, you know, what, where they're going to go and, you know, pay attention because I think Fournette could have a role wherever he ends up. I don't know if it's going to be in Tampa. Uh, you're, you're a Tampa fan. I know that you're, you're kind of a little bit connected to this. What, what the hell do you think? Do you think Fournette, what where, I can't get a read on what the hell they're going to do with Leonard Fournette is what I'm asking. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I think he's going to be too expensive to be honest. Right. Like I, I don't know the right. cap situation on top of my head, but he's going to be too expensive for them. I mean, you know, Godwin's a free agent. Right. I mean, I think, you know, maybe he's Godwin. I mean, you know, Antonio Brown is a free agent. Um, you know, in terms of the running game, I mean, we still have Rojo under contract. Um, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn obviously didn't do much, but, you know, he's he's a cheap option. Um, and knowing Arians, you know, I, I know he likes the vets and stuff, but, you know, I mean, Ro- Rojo was, you know, he was okay. I mean, he was serviceable. He did pretty well. I mean, first part of the season, um, I think he just missed a thousand yards and, you know, Fournette doesn't seem like he's going to stick in Tampa just because of cost and the market. Um, although I would love to see him back. Um, I don't I don't see it. I think he earned himself um, at least a part of a – at least a, a solid role, right, in a backfield. Um, yeah, I think so. You know, so. at least the 1B, if not a 1A in, in a backfield. So, Well, I, I, I thank you for coming on. I think we're probably going to – cook it here we had some technical difficulties on this damn pod i if you didn't hear it from from your chair here um you know mr customer then uh that's great because we were we were scrambling with some internet connections some other some other uh stuff so you know we we struggled through this one hopefully hopefully it sounded good man you know because i thought you we did a great job at least uh you know laying out the 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 dynasty startup uh strategy and things like that i had a lot of fun with you i, I love you brother you're 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 the man and and uh you know I, i'm i'm just so happy that we're we're doing this together yeah man thanks for uh having me on like you know it was um it's been great man catching up talking football talking strategy and um yeah <laughs> You know, of course, when we get together, it's going to be a, a a fun a fun night um, behind the scenes too. So, no, uh, good times, yeah. good memories, and uh, yeah, we'll catch up again soon. Absolutely. So, I gotta say, on behalf of everybody here at the Undroppables, on behalf of of Nick uh, Chalk, you can find him at at one hundred one Chalk. Uh, you know, obviously, just follow us at all at the Undroppables. But on behalf of everybody at the Undroppables, on behalf of Michael. And everybody, uh, Mathic, we've got some exciting stuff coming next week too. Mathic uh, and and Michael are going to be doing some player interviews. We got some players we're going to be we're going to be uh, you know uh, showcasing on the show. So that's really exciting. So uh, look forward to that. But on, on behalf of all of us here at, uh, at Undrafted and at the Undroppables, uh, I'm out. Thank you so much. Later on. Yeah.